Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Samaya Nassim, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 86, where we're talking about A Pure Heart by Raja Hasib and Love from A to Z by S.K. Ali. You can find a complete transcript and a list of all the books mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So this is our second attempt at recording this episode about marriage stories, discussing these two wonderful books. So the first one was just a practice run, you know, we're, we're all set now. Now, we, because we have done it once, we know that we're going to get it right this time. For sure. For sure. Uh, so you might have noticed, uh, dear listeners, that there was a schedule change. And that's because I, long story short, lost the files and so we are recording this again, but we still have all of our notes and everything. So here we are. So I just want to put it out there that technology is not always a friend. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Especially when my poor computer is like, <laughs> I cannot contain any more storage, memory storage. And I'm like, it's fine. I have an external hard drive. And it's like, I'm a Mac. I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, and I personally have this awful relationship with Skype. Never lets me sign in. <laughs> so this is our second episode on our marriage stories theme. Uh, so I thought we could talk a little bit about why uh, you wanted to pick this theme and like where the idea came from. Marriage is definitely something that I think about. And I think we briefly discussed that in the previous episode. I just think it's really fascinating to look at stories, you know, that may feature a couple who are married or who are dating with the intent to get married. The way that I have seen through literature, through films and just through conversations with friends from, you know, different parts of the world is that every culture and community has kind of their own way of dealing with marriage or like approaching this uh, intense and emotional and intimate relationship. And there are so many stories that kind of come out of that. I mean, we see a lot of books that depict people falling in love and fulfilling that romantic ideal. But I'm actually more interested in stories that look at what happens to that love and relationship after marriage, how that dynamic and that, you know, the responsibility that comes with being in a marriage, with building a family together, like how that affects people their relationship and individuality in general. So one thing that I keep thinking about, you know, when I think about marriage is that there's something unique that happens in a marriage. And it is that your partner sort of becomes this extension of who you are and each person's identity undergoes a, un, undergoes a change. In the Muslim and South Asian uh, tradition, uh, women actually traditionally leave their family to join their husband's home. So marriage in itself is a migration of a kind, uh, a sort of a displacement that I think in my community, at least, we're afraid to title it as a displacement because marriage represents this purity. And in the Islamic perspective, it's kind of this fulfillment of your faith. And I find that really fascinating that, you know, a woman's identity particularly goes through so much change. So there's a lot of stories to be, you know, talked about from that perspective. Another thing that really fascinates me is how access to education, to travel, migration in general, um, and different cultural intersections have changed the way that people approach marriage and it has opened up new possibilities. And finally, I think marriage stories is an interesting theme because 
you're not only looking at family you're not only looking at family dynamics but it's also revealing gender roles and relationships between genders and you know the conversation around that in general is something that comes up when you look at a marriage and i especially as someone from a western perspective i found it very interesting to see these two books that we've just chosen interacting with a lot of western stereotypes about women who marry and you know marry in this way and leave their families and are maybe in arranged marriage or maybe they're in a courtship there's like this western idea that they're not they're not activists they're not uh you know independent they're not educated there's all of these really uh terrible stereotypes around that and both of these books look at that those stereotypes and upend them turn them on their head and be like no that's not the reality of the situation in all of these different ways like zainab is an activist right and yeah. in a pure heart the husband is the one who converts and leaves his family's religion to join his wife's because he yeah. loves her and i i loved that i loved seeing how these different marriages play out in these novels and they're really a great pairing like once you sit down and you start thinking about them together yeah i'm really happy with the books and especially how they work together uh because we are seeing uh characters who are you know going outside the stereotypical narrative form that we have and it's so important for me to kind of highlight those types of stories that complicate the muslim experience especially the experience of young women um and one thing that we have common in these books is how they portray the hijab uh so for example in the in if your heart you have gamila and you know we're going to talk a bit about her relationship to her hijab but in general like what happens there is gamila's family or like the community that she's a part of does not really uh they're kind of a bit uh averse to the fact that she wears hijab but they don't like discourage her they're still supportive of her uh but they think differently and in love from a to z we are seeing this young woman whose family you know encourages the hijab and also like that's such a central part of her identity and there is no conflict to that side of her from the people around her and they actually nurture her to kind of you know be who she is and experience that so all i like basically what i want to say here is there's so many different there's so many different experiences with the hijab and stereotypes kind of overshadow that so it's good to have books like these Yeah. And you know, we read a book last year called It's Not About the Burqa that really talked about these different ways as well. And for those of you in the US, it's finally coming out in the US this year. I don't know if its publishing date has been moved at this point, but I will link it down below so that you can go check it out, pre-order and support that anthology because if you love this episode, you will also love that book. Definitely. That has so many different perspectives from women, from Muslim women of uh, from all walks of life and they talk about you know all these issues that generally are not really at the center stage so it's it's a good book i always recommend it to everyone yes i i was one i was like mom you should read this book yeah, you would like it <laughs> yeah my mom has a copy of it as well she's planning to read it soon you know i think your mom and my mom should start a book club <laughs> we've said that before i'm pretty sure like we've talked about it it would be pure gold on the internet if that ever happened <laughs> We'll have to pitch it to them. We'll give you all guys updates after. We'll see what they say. <laughs> And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Kobo Audiobooks. If you like podcasts like this one, then you'll love Kobo Audiobooks. Uh listening to audiobooks 
lets you fit more reading into your life. Listen while you work out, walk the dog, do puzzles, play video games, or really anytime. I always have an audiobook playing in the background, and I can attest that audiobooks while you're cooking or brushing the corgi or really whatever chore you happen to do, it makes the time go so much faster. Kobo has a huge catalog of audiobooks, including bestsellers and originals across all genres. So today we want to tell you about two great ways that you can save. The first one is that you can start an audiobook subscription and get your first book for free. So you start your free 30-day trial, download the free app, select your audiobook, and start listening. The book is yours to keep even if you cancel. Every month afterwards, you pay just $9.99. That's a better price than other monthly audiobook subscriptions. The second way you can save is that you can use the code RW40 to get 40% off one of their select audiobooks curated by Kobo's audiobook experts. To get started, visit kobo.com slash readingwomen. To start listening to Kobo audiobooks today, that's visit kobo.com slash readingwomen. Thanks so much to Kobo for sponsoring this episode. And of course, all of their information will be linked in our show notes. Uh, well, Samaya, you have the first discussion pick that we're going to talk about today. So my discussion pick for this episode is A Pure Heart by Raja Hasib. And we talked briefly about this book last time. So just to recap from that, this is a story of two sisters who are quite different and have chosen very different paths in life. Rose is an American Egyptian who is passionate about Egyptology and ancient Egypt. She lives in New York with her husband, Mark. He is someone who converted to Islam in order to be able to marry her. Uh, her younger sister is Gamila. She lives in Cairo with her parents. She's the more traditional of the pair. So uh, in a way, she is, quote unquote, more conservative uh, than her other sister. So when this story begins, we find out that Gamila has died and Rose is grieving the untimely loss of her sister. As an Egyptologist, Rose believes that if she examines her sister's possessions, she'll be able to better understand her sister and her final months in life because there's a lot of mystery regarding that. I actually thought that this was a poignant setup because the loss of someone is, you know, obviously really difficult to deal with, but it's more complicated when you become aware of how little you knew them and you can't really go back to them to get answers. That's basically the kind of sibling dynamic that we have in this book. But the book is also set during the Arab Spring Revolution of 2012 in Egypt and the family tensions that it creates in the society. We also have the point of view of an individual who becomes radicalized in, in prison. So I'd say there's a lot of sociopolitical and personal tension in this story. Um, another thing that obviously from the perspective of looking at marriage in this story, what's interesting is that Rose believes that her husband, Mark, is in some way responsible for her sister's death. So it's, it looks at how that kind of complicates their relationship and Rose's feelings towards him. And this book has just this really well-crafted tension throughout the book of whether or not Rose and her husband, Mark, are going to stay together. And it's how will their marriage weather this? So it jumps back and forth in time. We see how they got together and all the difficulties that they got through before this point. But after Rose's sister dies... They have this really difficult tension between them, and it's like Rose doesn't want a voice that she blames her husband, but Mark still knows, and uh, so they have a lot of discussion 
about that. And I think it's really interesting because like in Sophia Khan is not obliged when you have two people who get married from two different cultures, there's a lot already going on in their relationship, even before this tension like comes up after Gamila dies. Yeah, there's a lot of complexity when it comes to them as individuals and their relationship to each other. And, you know, the grief obviously is something that's difficult in itself to bear. But when there's this idea that your husband might in some way be responsible, then that creates a whole new layer of tension and just, you know, this unsettling feeling between the between the pair. And one thing that I really appreciated about this book is how it's you know, these characters are so complex, but the more you read, the more familiar you become with them and you start to root for their marriage and you don't want to see them hurt. Um, and I think it's kind of beautiful when a story is able to bring that protectiveness in a reader. And this book does that really well. Obviously, like because this is a book that I read with the intention of understanding the theme of marriage in fiction, I naturally wanted to see them, you know, work things out and just kind of see this positive growth in their marriage, to, regardless of the troubles that they're facing. Yeah. The way that the author wrote these characters made them so alive and so vibrant so quickly. And I hadn't realized how invested I was in the book until I was sitting in the car listening to the audiobook and I didn't want to go inside, which is weird because I could just take my headphones and stuff with me. But uh, I was so invested in the way that this book unfolds. And by the time that you have Rose going to Egypt to talk to her family and try to figure out some of the mysteries of Gamila's life, um, yeah, you're very invested very quickly. It's very good. I mean, I'm just going to say that over and over. I think I'm going to gush about this book for a while. Um, and it's definitely joined the list of, I would say, at least the top 10 favorites of all time. And, you know, to add to that, I would say that the, the way that the narrative moves seamlessly between Egypt and America, um, I think that adds a lot of credibility to Raja Hazib as a writer, that she's faithfully able to depict these, you know, vastly different societies and their realities and the characters who come from that. And, the way that she writes about, you know, the coming of these two cultures and these people who represent them, it's really beautiful. And I, I love seeing stories like that, you know, that celebrate uh, individuals who come together despite the differences in their background. And it was really interesting to see, you know, also Rose and Mark going back to his home in West Virginia. And, you know, he converted to... Islam and he told his mom like basically he felt like it was just a different way to worship the same God and his mom very much disagreed and it was a big um, tumultuous way to start out their relationship and there's also stigma on the other side where Gamila feels is almost like she's still holding on to some sort of shame that her sister married a man who converted to Islam and there's a lot of stigma around that and so it's like Rose and Mark are in an island of a unto themselves trying to figure out their relationship amidst all of this like family turmoil and cultural turmoil. And um, they have some really uh, insightful conversations about it as well that are really well crafted on the page. Yeah. And even Rose's perspective reveals a lot about faith and the conversation around that when you're coming from different faiths and in general, like within the same faith, how there are different, you know, types of people and the different ways that people practice their religion. Um, so I know that both of us really love books that kind of look at that 
you know, that personal experience of faith and in general, the community experience of faith. And I was so fulfilled when I read this book. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting to see because, you know, even within the same religion or even actually within the same family, you have people whose experiences with faith are so different. The two sisters have a very different relationship to their religious identity. And I think uh, Rajia describes this at one point, and it's quite beautifully done when she says that faith is, is the center of Gamila's being and identity, whereas it is part of Rose's self. So I think that's very interesting to read about. And as for Mark and the way that, you know, his family disapproves of his uh, conversion and, you know, his relationship with Rose and the way that all of that has developed, it's so important for me to see a story like that where someone converts to Islam and, you know, they get married because that is, you know, something that our religion allows. Like within the religion, it is, Islam is the, Islam is a religion where you have like this acceptance of people regardless of their ethnicity or the background that they're from. I mean, regardless of their ethnicity and race and, the way that this is practiced in real life is quite different and it's disappointing to see because um, while the religion is inclusive, people are not. So I want to see more stories where we have this. Um, and Mark and Rose are both characters, I would say, who have multitudes or like different sides to them. And in this book, we kind of see how they're struggling to you know, bring those sides of themselves together, like particularly Rose. I mean, as someone who's Gamila's sister, she has to think about grief and she has to think about the conflict, you know, that has happened between her and Mark. And she also has to think of herself as Mark's wife. So she's trying to like align those two selves together. So it was interesting to read about that as well. I recently was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the multiple coming of ages that people have over the course of time. So we typically think of coming of age as from adolescence to adulthood, but it's kind of moving from one self to another. And I feel in that way for Rose, this is a coming of age story where she has one life where her sister is alive and now she has a different life where her sister is no longer alive and she's having to move from one self uh, to actively having a sister who's in Egypt, but you know, she's still there to no longer having her. And that transition, how does that look like? Does this include Mark? Like what is going on? And this is like a big uh, life change for her, not just in regards to grief and dealing with that, but also like how she sees herself and how she sees herself and Mark's future and working that out. And I felt like in that way, this is a coming of age story for Rose uh, just in a different way than we would typically think. Yeah, that's actually fascinating. I'd love to hear uh, that podcast episode. So send me a link. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's really fascinating. That's really fascinating because like I remember at one point she is trying to explain this to Mark and she draws a line on the table with her finger and she you know goes, goes up to a point and says like, this is my life until Camila was alive. And, you know, as she moves her finger further and she says, and that's my life now, like, hers stopped but I have to keep going on and that really hit me hard when I read it yeah it's very a moving book and the way that the grief is written on the page is very personal and, and you feel it along with Rose as she's trying to navigate this with her husband and you know living in America and studying Egypt as her job since she's like an archaeologist uh, and curates museum exhibits and stuff um, and then 
also interacting with the fact that one of her family members is gone and the regret that you have with that, you know, she and Gamila argued a lot about random stuff. So um, there's always a lot of regret when that happens. So while Rose is dealing with the loss of her sister, obviously there are memories that are kind of coming to her mind and it's, uh, you know, like she is remembering all those moments where she could have supported Camila more than she had, where she could have been a better sister. And obviously, like when someone passes away, that's always a thing I guess people would think about is, you know, the times where they were not there for them. Uh, one of the things that affects Rose is the way that she could have been more supportive of Camila and, you know, her wearing hijab, because when Gamila starts to wear the hijab, it actually sets her apart from the rest of her community and from her family. She becomes the black sheep of the family. And I felt so sad for her when her mom tells her that she looks like a peasant. Uh, there was this part in the story when that happens. And, you know, I actually kind of related to Gamila's journey of discovering her faith and discovering her religion and all of the perspective that it brings to her life as a woman as a as some as someone who's muslim in this case i think that when you're when you're young and you discover this discover your faith properly as an adult it can be very impactful obviously because it's an impressionable age but while her family does not discourage her because they love her obviously she is quite sensitive to their treatment of her and i liked that Rajia talked about this uh, relationship that Camila had with her faith and her hijab and how Rose and her family kind of have a different idea of it. Because I feel like the stereotypical narrative tells you that hijab is something that's forced on women, whereas a lot of times actually families don't always uh, want their daughters to start wearing it. And I'm not saying that this is like one or two people. There are a lot of people like that. And that's also an experience of the faith. That's also an experience of Islam. That's also a perspective that's valid. So I would say that the hijab is something that's distinct to each individual, to each woman who decides to wear it. That's very similar to the way that marriages work as well, that each marriage is unique, something that you experience in your own way. And it does not conform to a community's idea of doing things. It's always going to be a bit different to what others have experienced. Yeah. And I think that's something that that I think a lot of people, like you said, wouldn't expect that a lot of families don't support their daughters very well. They might tolerate it or just be okay with her decision, but they wouldn't choose that for her. And I think you can see that in Sophia Khan is not obliged as well when she chooses to wear the hijab and her family is very like, why are you making that choice? Like, Yeah, because for a lot of people, it starts to take this life of its own when someone is, you know, taking the decision to wear the hijab because it's it sets you apart, especially when you're living in a community that is not like you when there are so many different types of people living in a community. And in the current climate, I would say there are a lot of people who do worry about wearing the hijab, you know, because of Islamophobia. And there are a lot of families that discourage it, not because they're uncomfortable or alienated from their faith, but actually because they're protective of their children and the way that the world would treat them if they appear a certain way. So I thought that was very interesting to see in this book because, you know, it complicates the narrative. It, it gives you a new conversation when it comes to hijab and just being a young Muslim woman. So well, one of the things that uh, you and I both really liked about this book is how uh, 
how Rose talked about Cleopatra, who was a woman of Greek descent, who was uh, a ruler of Egypt. And there's this conversation between her and then a a previous female ruler who was um, of a different female ruler who was native to Egypt. And there's this beautiful section about this that you and I basically gushed over for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, first of all, I loved everything that was related to ancient Egypt in this book. But I also think that she brings in a really interesting perspective when she talks about these queens and their different origins. So towards the end of the novel, you know, and this actually scene scene is actually a mirror of something that happens between Rose and Mark uh, in their first meeting he references to Cleopatra and Rose talks about how it's such a stereotype that everyone associates Egypt to Cleopatra. So towards the end of the novel, um, she's having a conversation with her dad and he, she tells him, what is it with the Cleopatra obsession? She was Ptolemaic, not truly really Egyptian. Why not dress up like Nefertiti instead? Or Hatshepsut? She was a strong, fearless woman who ruled Egypt as an actual pharaoh at the height of the empire's power centuries before Cleopatra. Her father, sitting in the armchair on her other side, chimes in. Cleopatra was of Ptolemaic origin. That does not make her less Egyptian. She ruled the country and obviously loved it. You, of all people, should not be such a purist when it comes to ethnic origin. She looks up, contemplating this. She wonders why she never thought of it before. Cleopatra, the immigrant, the descendant of immigrants. So that's where it ends. Like, that's the coach that I wanted to put out. And I think it's just such an interesting look at the idea of immigration and, you know, Rose's unwillingness herself to kind of see Cleopatra as someone who's Egyptian. And it links to the conversation about migrants and immigrants and how when they contribute to a society, when they obviously so clearly love a community, why do we continue to marginalize them? Um, especially in history, you know, the rulers who went to a certain place and contributed to that place, as in the case of Cleopatra. So I think that it really beautifully completes the the growth of Rosa's character as someone who goes from thinking that Cleopatra is not Egyptian enough to her understanding that actually she is Egyptian. The thought process that she goes through with Cleopatra is, you know, very complex and very interesting to to follow because there's a lot of complications of the, like the power dynamic there and lots of different things. But ultimately, she realizes that, you know, moving to America, she also is an immigrant and, and what that's like. And it like just reframes the way that she sees Cleopatra in this beautiful way. And uh, I just I just love the way that that was handled in the book. Yeah, and we see the same regarding Mark, where we see him as a character who within America is also a migrant. And I just wanted to end by saying that there's so much to discuss in book. There's a lot to unpack. And I feel like our discussion of it has not done it justice. Because, you know, aside from all of these intense uh, family themes and a sibling theme, you also have um, the representation of deeper morality and questions of what it means to be pure um and you also have this character towards the second half of the book who is undergoing a radicalization when he goes to prison so this book is actually richly layered it's it's an enriching experience and i would definitely recommend it to anyone who is looking for a complex read that gives you different perspectives and different types of characters who are in each of their ways going through the similar battle of trying to be good so that was a pure heart by rajya hasi And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. 
The sponsor of this episode is the Skylight Digital Picture Frame. So are you looking for the perfect gift for your mom or loved one? You know, I'm not able to visit my parents or my in-laws as much as I would like to as they live in different states, uh, which is why I love the Skylight Picture Frame. It's touchscreen and you can email photos to it and they appear in seconds so uh, your loved one can see the photo in a matter of moments. You can also preload it so when you give the gift of a Skylight digital picture frame, uh, it will come preloaded with all of the amazing photos that you know that she wants. Uh, in my case, that would be photos of Dylan uh, because we all know who the favorite is in our family. It is no surprise. So Skylight sent me a picture frame for this and I immediately had photos of Dylan on it and very quickly let's just be honest and so now I get to watch as Dylan's face scrolls across the digital picture frame and it brings me so much joy and I know that this is definitely something that my mom would love. Now as a special holiday offer you can get 10% off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash reading women and enter the code reading. Uh, that's right, you can get 10% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame. Just go to skylightframe.com slash readingwomen and enter the code READING. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash reading. And thanks so much to the Skylight Frame for sponsoring this episode. So Kendra, your discussion pick is something that we both loved. Can you tell us about it? Yes. So I picked Love from A to Z by SKLE, and that's out from one of our favorite imprints, Salam Reads, which is middle reader and YA books uh, with Muslim protagonists, which is great. And I love this book because of all of the things. It is a love story, and you have Zainab and Adam. And so Zainab uh, is living in America when she confronts an Islamophobic teacher saying some really offensive things in class. And so she's suspended right before the end of her senior year. And so her parents are like, you know what, go visit your aunt in Qatar where she's teaching at this international school. It'll get you away for spring break. You can come back and just finish your year. And hopefully this will help this very difficult time for you. On the way there, she meets a young man named Adam, and he is also Muslim, and his dad is the principal at the international school where her aunt teaches, but she doesn't know that until she meets him again at this party. And so it's really interesting to see these two uh, get to know each other and slowly learn from each other. And they are looking to marry someone. They're not looking to date there, you know, that, that saying that I heard on somewhere about how Muslims don't date, they marry. And that's really their, <laughs> their perspective. We actually call it, we actually call it halal dating. <laughs> halal is like things that are permissible in our religion. So we just add that word to the dating aspect because a halal dating then means that you are dating with the intent to get married, which is, you know, marriage is something that's going to fulfill half of your faith. That's another saying that we have in our religion. So yeah, halal dating, it's, it's the thing. It's, it's so cool. Uh, there is this wonderful little picture that SKLE put up on her social media of like the authors that are promoting social distancing. There's this whole thing. And she had like, you know, if Adam and Zainab can social distance, you should too. And it was just the best thing I had seen. It was 
It was hilarious. And I don't know if you realized, but she's actually also referring to the cover of the book. So Adam and Zainab are clearly in an airport because you have those airport seats. Um, and they are sitting with at least one seat between them. And there's an arrow sort of that goes above <laughs> them in the on the yes. cover. So it's kind of like they, there's this distance between them, which is like social distancing because you need to maintain some distance between each other. And I like that in these difficult times, we are kind of finding humor in, in books and in the things that we love. Um, and I, I remember I co-tweeted SK Ali's tweet and I was like, halal dating is all about that social distancing life, which is so true <laughs> because in the way that we practice, uh, you know, the approach to marriage is, you know, you have to maintain physical distance. We don't uh, get intimate before we get married. So it's just funny to see that. And, you know, another thing that I love about this cover is how it captures the idea of like being in, a, in being in an airport and like, you know, because when you travel, it's such an adventurous thing. Like for, for anyone who's had the privilege of doing that, of visiting different places, when you're at the airport, it, there's so many possibilities and you know you're looking forward to the in- adventure that you're about to have and what's the greatest adventure than falling in love with someone or meeting someone that you really like and this cover perfectly captures that because they're looking at each other and they're smiling at each other and you know you can see that Zainab's expression in the in this is like but she's not fully impressed she's critical and Adam is like smitten completely he's looking at her <laughs> with all those googly eyes <laughs> it's hilarious i love looking deep into covers so yeah <laughs> it's it's true and i love how on the back as well there's this a picture of the two of them standing and they're not touching but they're obviously like together and she's laughing at him and i feel like that's so authentic to the like muslim dating idea of that you you know and she's dressed very modestly and I, I just really appreciate that they captured that on a cover because I think especially for young people, capturing their experience on a book cover is extremely important. And we've seen a lot of conversations about the need to make sure we have our you know black women protagonists on the cover and how they might have natural hair and like all of this conversation. But I think also that applies definitely here in this situation with Muslim dating because as we're going to talk about, one of the reasons I picked this book is because... I think that, you know, Muslim teenagers who do make the choice to go about dating this way need to be able to see their experiences in a romance novel because, and so I think that's so encouraging for teenagers to be able to see their faith and their kind of like lifestyle in a book and on a book cover. Most definitely. And I feel like Muslim readers are really aware of their own experiences because our lives I would say like from the mainstream that we get of art, books, culture, film in general, like the stuff that we're consuming in a globalized world, uh, we are really aware of the things that make us different. And we're proud of that. And we want to see more of that. And this book does it really well. I also want to say that it's really difficult for uh, a Muslim author to come up with a story that appeals to a wide range of Muslim readers because to be honest the experience is so varied even within the community and the way that this book depicts halal dating it's it's going to appeal to the majority and that's a huge thing like that's that's amazing 
Yeah, because there's still lots of love and all the warm and fuzzies and like all of those things that you need for a good romance novel. But there's also an abundance of chaperones and, uh, you know, group dating outings in public and like stuff like that, that, you know, I feel like more conservative people would definitely be concerned about if there wasn't that there's never a time where they sneak off alone or anything like that there's always someone else in the house or present or whatever and I think that that was so important to the experience as well very much so yeah so family presence is definitely something that's underrated and I think what sets this book apart is that when you're looking at a YA novel or like looking at a book that shows the teenage years, um, because we spend so much time at school or with friends or, you know, I know that you were homeschooled, but the I would say the mainstream teenage experience is, you know, it can be easily treated as stories where there's an almost complete absence of family and community. And this book is one of those delightful stories where you see these kids nurturing a quiet type of romance while dealing with their health or injustice and their families are a thoughtful presence in their lives. And that was so important for me to see because it sends such an, uh, it sends this important message to young kids that you don't have to deal with things by yourself because, you know, during our teenage years, uh, it's easy to feel like you're, it's just you against the world. And we see the way that Zainab's family encourages her to go to Qatar and, you know, spend some time there and just unwind, get away from the toxic energy. And with Adam, we see him dealing with chronic illness, which is something that we find out about early in the book. And we see how the community around him eventually comes to his aid and to his support and gives him, you know, the nurturing and the attention that he needs to deal with it because his, there's a lot of history tied to that. And I feel like in most YA books, the parents are pretty terrible in the majority of YA books, which is unfortunate because if you want to be a good parent, like where are you supposed to go to find examples of good parents or to have those conversations with your kids? So I love that like the, I think all of the family members in this book are supportive in one way or another, even if they have, you know, maybe if they're, they're not a Muslim family member or they're a more a liberal type of Muslim in the book, they are still very supportive of these two teenagers and their choice to pursue dating and marriage this way. And I think that's so important, especially considering, you know, like you said, Zainab's facing Islamophobia and Adam has MS and he's trying to navigate being newly diagnosed with that. And, um, you know, his, his disease hasn't gone into remission yet. So he still, you know, needs to see the doctor, but he doesn't want to tell his dad. So he's not going and getting the care he needs. And it's very complicated. Poor soul. My heart goes out to him. I know he's such a wonderful character. And, you know, I, I completely agree with what you said, because I feel like um, a lot of times what happens in the Muslim community is that kids like Adam and Zainab, who are young, who are, you know, obviously still either at university or in that age, but they know what they want. They know who they are and they know the kind of person they want to be with. And sometimes they find that person against all odds. They find the person that they would like to spend the rest of their lives with. Yet their community is sometimes not as supportive because, interestingly, parents think that you're too young to get married. Like I'm saying like in certain communities right now. And I like that this book gives that representation where you have family that's supportive because this is the kind of story that a lot of young kids need where they're seeing that, okay, if I realize that this is good for me, I'm going to have 
family who's supporting me like it's it's a possibility it's not entirely uh it's not an impossibility basically and I really liked that in this book we've touched on this a little bit but one of the things that I loved about this book is that how it portrays Adam having MS and having his uh, you know, severe chronic illness. So MS is a type of condition that can go into remission. And so you are asymptomatic, but you can always like relapse. And um, it's really difficult for him because his mom died of MS. And so that's why he didn't want to tell his dad when he was diagnosed uh, at university. And so when he went home, he left university and went home and is trying to figure out like, how to talk to his dad about this because it, who does he really want to be the person that tells his dad that, you know, once again, he has, he has this and his dad will have to, you know, help a family member that has that. And there's a deep con- emotional connection, uh, to a disease in families that have experienced that kind of trauma. It's like, it's its own entity looming over you. And so the fact that this kind of almost like villain has returned to their lives it is a is a huge deal a huge emotional deal and so adam's little sister is also there and she doesn't really remember her mom and you know there's a lot of complications there that adam also has to navigate on top of meeting zainab and his big thing is that he thinks his life is over because he has ms and that is unfortunate because that is internalized ableism that he's experiencing. And so he has to eventually accept that he is worth, that he has value as someone with a chronic illness and he is worthy of love. Like he should accept that. And that's a huge journey that I think is especially difficult for men who have chronic illnesses because we have a lot of hangups right. about men who have illnesses. That's We expect, air quotes, yeah. women to have illnesses. But when a man gets it, it's like he's less manly or something. I don't know. It's toxic masculinity again, like toxic masculinity is something that also affects, you know, like definitely that's a thing. And uh, with Adam, it's like he thinks that, you know, telling his dad is going to re-traumatize his family because they've lost, you know, his mom to MS and he doesn't want to make them go through that again. But as we see with this book, you know, family is there to support you no matter what happens. And it's something that he has to learn. Again, like you said, you know, he thinks that he is beyond love in a way because he is, you know, not going to be in, maybe he thinks that he is not fit for it anymore. And at the start of the book, we see how there used to be someone that he was interested in. And he's almost relieved that that person found someone else. And, you know, that's where he his state of mind is when he meets Zenob. And with both of them, I think it's really interesting that they are, you know, they're they're an interesting pairing because they're both individuals who are faced with challenges and are struggling internally. With Zainab, we see that she wears a hijab, so she is hyper aware of Islamophobia and the microaggressions, and that has kind of filled her with this righteous anger. So along with her friends, she's very active in fighting those corrupt elements in, in their life. And you know, Adam, as someone who loves his family and is sensitive, he wants to maintain a sense of harmony in the family. So they're both individuals who are dealing with really intense issues. And yeah, it's really interesting to see that with teenagers who have these complex things going on in their life, but they still end up finding each other and finding love. 
Another important thing about Adam's family is that his father converted to Islam, I believe after his mother died, and he didn't ask his children to convert. Adam converted on his own after he saw the change in his dad and he wanted to be part of that. And so like we talked about with a pure heart, there's a lot of stigma around converts. And so seeing how Zainab and her family uh, just accept Adam and his family, which is as it should be, is it really a great example of the inclusivity um, that should exist in Islam? But like, as you've mentioned, some people still have hangups about, unfortunately. Uh, and so that was really good to see, to see, you know, converts and they are just fully Muslim as, as Zainab and her family. And I really appreciate that dynamic. It was very, it was pretty seamless, really. Yeah. And to compare the two books, I would say that in A Pure Heart, you have more of the individual experience of faith. And in Love from A to Z, we have more of a family experience of faith how, where you have Adam, his dad and his sister, how they pray together and they have this ritual regarding that prayer, the prayer ritual that they have. It's really beautiful to read about. And I think readers would really appreciate that, especially readers of faith. Uh, so one of my favorite parts of this book is just how adorable Zainab and Adam are. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand how romance can and flirting can work in a like, you know, uh, supervised or chaperone situation. But I really like how ridiculous they are and they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah, I think people should just watch a Jane Austen adaptation in film and they'll see exactly the kind of tension that happens in halal dating and that's what adam and zainab are going through so this section on 309 um zainab is narrating and she says i read him the parts that hurt of her journal not the not angry parts the part where these things felt confusing like i would never ever figure out the world a world that didn't seem to work because the moment you're feeling secure someone hates on you like being happy on the plane headed over to Doha, and then a hateful woman shows up. Like coming to class to learn instead of being served hate. It makes you distrustful. Well, it makes me distrustful, I said, closing my journal. He reached his right hand forward and placed it on the teapot. I'm going to pretend this is your hand, because I want to touch it. But I'm not gonna, okay? He drew his hand up a bit, then rested it again on the teapot, but lightly this time, almost hoveringly. How is your hand so hot? I laughed, grateful for his corniness, <laughs> taking the edge off what was happening inside me. And you could see, like, you know, they don't take themselves too seriously. And they're just really corny and adorable. <laughs> and I think that's just so pleasant to see. And it gives you all the warm and fuzzies. And I just love it. So... They're adorable. And I feel like as a YA, this book is also successful in the way that it shows the progression of their relationship, how they learn to accept each other and kind of learn to fit themselves together rather than, you know, there being some major misunderstanding moment, which is something we often see in YA. And that's, you know, it's it was really beautifully done. <laughs> I love the scene. And that is Love from A to Z by S.K. Ali. And uh, what would your recommendations be for further reading, Samaya? So the first book that I actually have in mind for this is The Pleasure Seekers by Tishani Doshi. This was published by Bloomsbury. It's the story of an intercultural and interfaith marriage between an Indian man and a British woman. So it looks at their relationship as it moves from Britain to India and also how it impacts their children and their identities. And what about you? What's, what's the first book that you would select as further reading? 
Uh, I've chosen a book by S.J. Sindhu, who is a genderqueer author, but they are writing about a lesbian woman in the story. And uh, this is A Marriage of a Thousand Lies, which is about a couple who are both gay, but they're in a marriage of convenience. And so when our protagonist, when she goes home to help take care of her grandmother, she finds out that her best friend and former girlfriend is getting married. And so they start their relationship back up and it's very complicated. And uh, it really looks at what life is like for her as being a Sri Lankan woman trying to fulfill these traditional values, but also, you know, being gay and having to choose between her very important Sri Lankan identity and her identity within a family and her queer identity and what that looks like. And I think this is such a very important book um, in this context. And uh, so when S.J. Sindhu sent us the book, I was just... Uh, I don't know why it took me so long to read it, first off. They sent it to us a few years ago, but uh, I absolutely love this book. And it's one of my favorite books of the year that I have read so far. And I definitely want to recommend it because while it is written by a genderqueer author, it's about a lesbian woman. And I thought it was very fitting for our conversation. Yeah, I actually read it after you talked about it last time we recorded our first episode for this theme. (laughs) And... Wow, it's definitely an intense, emotionally fraught novel. And one of the things that I actually really loved about it is how we look at how Lucky is someone who's who has to be more performative with her marriage than her husband has to be. And that uh, imbalance, despite both of them being gay, is something that I found very interesting in the way that it was pr- portrayed. Um, also, the, her struggles with the way that she dresses up and the performance of it in general it was very well done. And you had a second one, which yes. I also co-signed. <laughs> <laughs> so the second book on my mind is Stay With Me by Ayubami Adibayo. Um, this was published by Knopf in the U.S. Um, this is an intense and dramatic story of marriage uh, about a couple who are unable to conceive biologically. And as a result of that, they're facing a lot of pressure from their family and from the community to have a child, preferably a boy child. So it's I would say this is sort of like a thriller because of all the twists and moments of shock and disbelief that occur throughout the story. It's quite entertaining to read, but also like has, you know, important themes mixed in with that. Definitely. And we did a Q&A with her when the book first came out as well. So I'll link that um, in the show notes as well. And that's our show. And if you haven't yet, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. And many thanks to our patrons, particularly today, our patron of the day, Sophia Martins. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Join us next time where Kendra and Sachi will be talking about books around May's theme, nonfiction titles by Asian and American authors. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. Thanks for listening. Bye.